0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: Today's program is brought to you by Korin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corrin.com. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. Handcrafted, expert approved, with over
3: 20 international blind tasting awards. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Eat Your Heartland Out with me, your host and tour guide, Capri Cafaro. On our show this hour, we meet two powerhouse women in the Michigan food scene. We will speak to Tammy Guilfoyle, owner of Tam Chop Farm near Ann Arbor. Tammy is driven to find unique seed varieties to grow heirloom vegetables that ultimately grace local tables. She shares her seed to plate philosophy with our first guest, Hay Kim. Ji-hae is an award-winning chef and owner of Miss Kim, a Korean restaurant in Ann Arbor. She draws culinary inspiration from the Korean Buddhist food tradition that relies heavily on seasonal and local ingredients. Ji-hae collaborates with Tammy to supply those seasonal local ingredients to Miss Kim. We will meet Tammy later in the program, so let's first welcome Ji-hae to the show. Jihei, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. You have such an incredible and interesting story, which has produced an incredible restaurant and culinary profile in Michigan. So let's kind of just start at the beginning. How did you come to um, the state of Michigan? And then, you know, what brought you to food? <laughs> I initially ended up in Michigan
4: because I went to University of Michigan. After graduating from University of Michigan, I went back to my home state, New Jersey. But I had met a boy at the time, and that brought me back to Michigan after being married. Sometimes that happens, <laughs> yes, it does sometimes happen um and you know when i once I graduated college, all I wanted was a like a sit down office job because I had worked in Restaurant industry during going to school, and I knew how tough it can be. But when I had an opportunity to move to a different state from New Jersey to Michigan and really choose my path, I found myself back in the food industry.
1: So, what what brought you there? I mean, you know, you just mentioned that uh, you know you'd spent a lot of time, presumably on your feet, um, you know, in, in the hospitality and food industry, and then you decided you know what, I want to actually do this for a living. And um, it's my understanding you didn't go to culinary school or you weren't a trained chef, so to speak, but you still followed that passion. Um, What what was really driving that?
4: Well, I have to say there are two things that really drove that. Um, Up until that point, um, I had trouble with my immigration status. So now I'm a citizen, but at the time, uh, a lot of my decisions, life decisions, depended on what I have to do. So I had to go to college to have the student visa. I had to get mm-hmm. a job that was going to sponsor my green card. So the one big factor was once I moved to moved back to Michigan for the second time, that was first time in my life that I was able to ask myself, what is it that I want to do instead of what is it that I have to do? So that's one mm-hmm. factor and another factor is that I missed my mother's cooking. Mm. My mother is still in New Jersey and New York and New Jersey have fairly large uh Korean uh Korean Korean American community. Michigan does have Korean American community but it's smaller and the the variety of food that you can get is a little more a uh, little less diverse. Mm -hmm. And I just missed the home cooked meal. So sometimes I joke that had I not moved to Michigan, I may not have gone into uh, opening a restaurant because I would have had my mom's cooking. You know, I find myself back in Michigan and my college community is gone. And I had to really go out and look for uh, ways to put my own roots here. Even though I was, I moved back because my husband was here. And I think the food industry and to the extent the farming industry in Michigan really helped me. Uh, identify, find, and find that community, and find my roots here as a Midwesterner.
1: Well, you know what they say, or uh, you know what we say. Sometimes, you know, it's about being Midwest nice, <laughs> and <laughs> and part of that is about being welcoming. But it is about finding your fit and finding that community. And one thing that I've noticed, just as I've spoken to you know all kinds of people doing this program um, across the Midwest and, and a little bit beyond, that um, you know whether it's uh, restaurants or farming or, you know, um, spirits, you know, the alcohol, all the people that are around, you know, providing something to people in this way are so welcoming and it does become that community. And it sounds like, um, that's what happened for you when you came back to Michigan. Um, so, you know, you're, you're looking for your mom's cooking, but you don't have it, um, in Michigan, You somehow made it happen and you ended up opening your own restaurant. But there's got to be a lot in between, you know, wanting your mom's cooking and opening up a restaurant.
4: Yeah, I mean, you've already mentioned that I'm not a classically trained chef. And I was already 27 when I started working at I started going back to the food industry. You did mention that the food industry and the restaurant industry is very welcoming, and, and the farming industry in Michigan is also exceptionally very warm and welcoming mm-hmm. and generous. And and I, like, honestly, I want to say that this was some grand plan, but but it was really rudimentary. Like, I have a gut feeling that this is my opportunity to do something that I, I find meaningful and uh, tactile and immediate joy. And that was the food, and uh, it, it, the food industry and the farming industry generally provided uh, more of a common language, something that we can go back to. So, mm-hmm. first thing I did was to get a job at Zingerman's Delicatessen,
1: which, by the way, for our listeners that are not maybe familiar, is ridiculously iconic. Um, the it's an it's incredible. Um, they have a catalog. And, you know, most, a lot of people, at least in this region, are familiar. But I think it's it's a, a name that Zingman's people know it because of, um, you know, the catalog and some of their speci- specialties that they have there. So just a little bit of context for our listeners.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the time, I didn't quite realize how iconic it is. But I did know that it was right in my hometown and I knew that the staff there really knew about the food. I knew this because I'm an introvert and when I go shopping for something, I do not wanna to talk to anybody, but I started talking to one of the cheesemongers and they knew about the cheese, the flavor, the profile, the, the, uh, the artisanal producer of that cheese guy, like the pairings, they knew all of that. And that was really impressive and just the joy uh, to face when I'm sort of alone in a town that I am vaguely familiar with, but it's a brand new town to me. And and from there, I joined Zingerman's Delicatessen, and that was really serendipitous because um, I got to have the best training to develop my own palate, to understand the food system, to understand the uh, artisanal uh, community, and still get paid for it. And then later I learned that Zingermans have this thing called path to partnership where Mm -hmm. anybody, any employee can go on the path to become a part holder or managing partner of an existing business or a brand new business. And uh, I actually did not have, initially did not have the imagination big enough to see a Jewish deli and a Korean food partnering up together. But I had a, a... co-worker who had such a dream with Asian food and and then she and I started working together and we went on the path together eventually she decided that this is not what she wanted to do but I I continued and it sounds like it's some sort of easy program but it's actually quite not it makes you run like create your own path push yourself and learn things on the job with a little bit of a safety net and then really yeah. figure out what you want before you commit a lot of your time and resources and money into it. And that's exactly what I did. So I did the food cart. I did the pop-ups. I did the staging at different restaurants, just a lot of learning on the job and learning to cook as well as run uh uh running of a business. So like, you know, how to read a and l you know, have enough discipline yeah. to do monthly inventory and report out of your progress, all of that stuff. Uh, was incredibly helpful. Uh, It's sort of a a customized education that you don't really get a lot uh, very easily without having to pay a huge amount of tuition. And it's well-rounded education. And I I did that for maybe four or five years by design. And then I opened the restaurant and it's been about five and a half years.
1: Well, I mean, it sounds like, even though I know you said that, you know, there wasn't some sort of grand plan, it it ultimately kind of unfolded that way. Um, and you know, what you're describing is, is really invaluable. And and frankly, I don't think there's any tuition in the world out there that could give you the kind of education that you got, you know, doing this program, uh, and getting this kind of hands-on experience at so many different levels and doing it incrementally and having that well-rounded, um, you know, approach. Um, and I think I, I would assume, um, that it is definitely a, um, contributing factor to your success. So tell us a little bit about your restaurant, Ms. Kim.
4: Yeah. So my restaurant is called Ms. Kim. We're located right in Kerrytown next to a hundred-year-old farmer's market in Ann Arbor. Um, And we're part of Zingerman's community businesses as we spoke. Uh, We do Korean food, um, but it may not look like the most common menu that you can easily find in Ann Arbor or Detroit area for Korean food. And that's because we do a type of Korean food that's very much inspired by, you know, ancient cookbooks. So I think about what my ancestors would have made if they lived in Michigan. Like I think about a story of a dish and then people who made and ate that dish. And then I combine that with what I can find in season from local farmers, really reflecting the location that we're in. And I do believe that that is very true to the tenets of Korean cooking.
1: So that's that's the uh, Korean Michigan food uh, would be an easier way to explain it. Well, you may be the only one doing Korean Michigan food, but your approach, you know, is very unique and, and I might say almost like poetic. And I, I want you to maybe walk us through, you know, ancient cookbook, thinking about your ancestors, you know, maybe you can describe a, a recipe or a dish, um, and, you know, kind of from inspiration to plate on, on, you know, how that process is and where you're drawing your inspiration from. Cause uh, you know, it sounds, you know, really special and pretty unique.
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's talk about a dish that like everybody would know when we talk about Korean food, let's take, a uh, uh, let's take bibimbap. Right. So you go to a Korean restaurant in LA or New York or Chicago or Atlanta and you, you are likely to see bibimbap. It's a bowl of rice with a bunch of stuff on top, possibly a sauce on top or on the side and you mix it up and eat it. The name of the dish means mixed rice. Right. And, uh, you may see similar iterations. Oftentimes it's rice, probably plain mite rice. Um, you have, like colorful vegetables on top. Generally, the vegetables tend to be cucumbers, carrots, zucchini, maybe bean sprouts. And then uh, it has some sort of protein and a sunny side of egg. If you look at the history of bibimbap and how it's made in Korea, I want to point out that um, different regions in Korea uh, may have different types of bibimbap. So you may see bibimbap made of uh, you know, cockles and seaweed and, and uni in a seaside town. And you may see bibimbap made out of, uh, mushrooms and, and dried forage greens and potatoes in a mountain region. And, uh, uh, you may see, uh, bean sprout heavy version on the, uh, west southern side of Korea. So that tells me that it's important to use what's locally available and so then i i take that and i use what's i i use a vegetable that's that's uh, in season in michigan so that may look like zucchini that may look like roasted beets in the middle of the winter um and we put it all together and um and we follow different tenants of bibimbap than just blindly replicating what you the most common version that you see so those tenants of bibimbap is you know uh, you use it's vegetable focused dish. It's served over rice. It has sauce on the side. And it, that sauce is made with one of the fermented mother sauces of Korea. So most often. And what is that? <laughs> most often it's gochujang, which is chili paste, but it could also be soy sauce based or soy paste based, which is denjang. And, um, we sort of have fun with it. Um, so sometimes it would, we would serve a vegan version of bibimbap uh, without any animal product and all local produce and, and uh, not using any garlic at all. And there would be a Buddhist version of that bibimbap. Sometimes we would have beets in them. Sometimes we would
1: have asparagus in them. Um, Can I ask, let me just inter- interrupt. What, what makes it a Buddhist version?
4: Oh, uh, that's an excellent question. So uh, Korean Buddhist cuisine dictates that you use local produce or uh, that you either forage or farm, or in my case, I purchase from local farmers. You're not supposed to use anything in allium family because things like garlic, onion, and chives can be too exciting and it's not good for meditation. And then everything needs to be vegan or vegetarian. So you basically cannot hurt a living thing in order for you to eat this thing. So uh, Buddhist version tend to be like vegetable heavy, but still really umami rich from the fermented Mm -hmm. sauces. So when we did the Buddhist bibimbap, we did multigrain rice instead of white rice. And then we did uh microgreens of different flavors uh three or f- three uh three or four different kind of vegetables that's omitting the garlic which is a big deal for most of korean food but we try right. to yeah we try to stick to that so that way it's true to the tradition of korean buddhist cuisine and it's also true to what's available in season that i can get from michigan farmers
1: i mean it sounds like the korean buddhist traditions um, have had a pretty significant impact on maybe some of the choices you've made because you are so heavily invested in seasonal recipes and sourcing locally, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, Buddhist
4: uh, cuisine specifically uh, make a point of it. But if you study any any uh, cuisine with long tradition, like Italian cuisine, uh, or French cuisine, or or Chinese cuisine, or Korean cuisine, it, Not using things in season and things in, um, things uh, that are locally available that there was no other option until very, very recently. It's not, yeah, it's not like we had supermarkets for like two centuries, (laughs) you know? So I, I, I do feel that it's sort of going back to the old fashioned way, but that is the natural way. And during the pandemic, it turned out to be really, A great decision because when we had supply chain issues or Mm -hmm. inflation issues, the the vegetables that we're getting from the farmers were a little uh, less susceptible
1: to that. Right. I mean, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And you're you're so right about the fact that, you know, um, this whole farm to table concept, which has really sort of caught fire as a kind of uh, buzzword or tagline, uh, for so many recently is, is nothing new. Um, it's the opposite of, but it's kind of been repackaged as this trend when, when really you're kind of going back to basics. Um, you know, because as you mentioned, I mean, you know, people, you're not able to ship goods all around the globe, um, you know, at the speed of light in the way that, and preserve them in, in the way that, you know, we, have become accustomed to today of you know eating citrus in Alaska, you know? Right. Yeah. It's it's a, a very different world that we live in. But um it's great that you are committed to, you know, sourcing that and really making it that Korean Michigan cuisine as as you mentioned. Um now we are going to be welcoming one of your uh one of the farmers that you work with. Mm-hmm. Um and her name is his her name is Tammy Gilfoyle, as you well know. So the audience will be introduced to her in a little bit, but um I would love to get your perspective actually on um how you um you know uh found Tammy and, and started to work together and um don't give away too much of the plot, but <laughs> just to give a little bit of context is we're gonna welcome her shortly.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's it's actually really uh fortunate. I, I sometimes feel like a very lucky person. It's really fortunate that I started working with Tammy. Because in a big scheme of things, oftentimes it comes down to resilience and practicality because, as I mentioned before, it's less susceptible to supply chain issues. It is a rooted in community. They are our customers oftentimes. So it makes mm-hmm. practical sense to work with local farmers. And it I also, love that. And I yeah. honestly,
1: I, not to interrupt you, but I think that that is, I see that as a very Midwestern trait. Um, that, you know, recognizing that you're, you know, sort of the people you do business with are also your customers. If they don't do well, you don't do well. That is something that I see in community after community, at least, you know, in the area that I live in the Midwest in Ohio and and kind of the surrounding region that I see that so often. I just find it really interesting that you mentioned that because I think that that is, you know, to me kind of a hallmark of, uh, you know, Midwestern culture.
4: What we have at Farmer's Market is incredible, like the Ann Arbor Farmer's Market that's right in our uh, area, Kerrytown. It has been around 100 years. It's one of the most oldest uh, uh, farmer's markets in the country. And the variety of the vegetables you can get at the peak of the season will surprise you because now we have farmers who have settled here? so I have Korean farmers that I work with they do a lot of mm. different foraging, so they would forage mushrooms and metals and lamb's quarter um, and then uh, I have Hmong farmer that I work with that has like six different kind of uh, Thai uh, eggplants and and different kind of herbs. he will send he will sell me. Uh, vines of the sweet potatoes, a particular kind oh, wow. that I can saute and eat the whole vegetable and not just the sweet potato. And I believe oh. the next step is, you know, for when I first started and I didn't have as many options, I would use whatever is available here. That you know, be that Jerusalem artichoke or beets or anything. But then, as I see more diversity of people and the vegetables they bring in. Uh, I started really wondering, like, what it means to literally take roots. Like, take my, uh, upbringing and, and my background and then take it here and really take roots here. And that's when Tammy came in. So, Tammy, uh, have the passion for farming. We know three, uh, each other through Zimmerman's. And when she was starting out, I think, um, she was also thinking what sets her Apart from many other wonderful farmers here, and then we got to talking and and I just knew that she was very special because she was looking at heirloom stuff. Um, so she mm-hmm. was uh, looking at row seven seeds or uh, uh, I am missing like a uh, Dan Barber's uh, seed company and one of the one of the uh, seed companies that I have asked her to look for me specifically was, Nakazawa seeds and Namu Farms mm. who's working with them and they're uh, bringing Asian heirloom vegetables in many varieties and Namu Farms specifically uh, they're uh, bringing in Korean crops and uh, making it work in American soil and and I thought that would bring a completely different dimension yeah. to what we can do in the restaurant in like in Midwest and uh, that's when we started looking and one of my favorite uh, meetings is uh, in the early uh, late winter. She and I would sit down and look at seed catalogs together, and then we start fantasizing what we can do together. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just so much fun.
1: Oh, I mean, that's that's true collaboration and definitely um, taking things to the next level of you know innovation of you know identifying. Um, what you can bring here and how you can adapt it. So it's not just adapting a recipe. It's, it's also, you know, finding those heirloom seeds and figuring out a way to get them to thrive, um, in this, in this climate in the Midwest, wherever you are, whether it's Michigan or, or beyond. And, um, I know Tammy has worked very hard to, um, on her craft and and as a farmer and is doing some really interesting stuff so we're looking forward to welcoming her but we are so happy for you to tell us your story um and um certainly hope to come and visit uh miss kim's uh sometime in the future thank you so much for being with us
4: yes please do come thank you for having me
2: Koren's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Koren is dedicated to this ideal. Bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com.
3: This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods at a family owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. 818 is created from fully matured blue agave from the Los Altos and Valles regions of tequila. It is then slow cooked for over 30 hours, extracted using traditional tahona wheels, distilled twice in copper pot stills, and aged in American and French oak barrels. This process creates the best tasting, highest quality tequila possible. Their tequilas have received over 20 blind tasting awards. They strive for excellence in every sip. 818's Blanco is sweet and smooth, with undertones of tropical and citrus fruits. Their reposado is soft and balanced with notes of caramel and vanilla. Their añejo is elegant and velvety, with crisp herbal notes and a warm vanilla finish. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their tequila and find it near you. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly.
1: Welcome back to Eat Your Heartland Out. This hour, we are talking to two women who are redefining Korean food and farming in Michigan. Our last guest was Jihae Kim, chef and owner of Miss Kim, a Korean restaurant in Ann Arbor. Now, we welcome Tammy Guilfoyle, the woman behind Tam Chop, one of the local farms that supplies Jihae's restaurant. Tammy, welcome to Eat Your Heartland
5: Out. Hi, Capri. Thank you for
1: having me. This is going to be so much fun um, because we've had a chance to chat previously, and um I just am totally drawn in by your story, your kind of life path, and I think that our listeners are really going to be excited to, to meet you as well. You know, we are a show about food and culture in the Midwest. You are based in Michigan, but that's not where you're from, right? You are from... Uh, California.
5: I am. I'm from San Francisco.
1: Ah, so you're you're from the Bay Area, and somehow from the Bay, you made it to the Big Mitten <laughs> of Michigan. Um, so you know, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> what happened in between? Uh, what brought you from uh, California to the Midwest?
5: You know, I wish um, I had a nickel right for every time I get asked this because oftentimes people make the opposite commute to California, <laughs> but. Um, I, you know, I grew up in Northern California and uh, I've always had a passion for food, um, growing food and nature and all these things, right? So I uh, worked in the food industry my whole life out there, worked for Whole Foods and did marketing for them. Um, I worked for a small market called Buy Right Market and uh, that's where I honed in on my love of cheese and wine. And um hmm. I met my partner that way, uh, through cheese. <laughs> it's a very lovely love story, <laughs> cheesy love story. Um, and his name is Ari Weinsweg and he, uh, is one of the founders of Zingerman's here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I met him at a cheese class, uh, for people in the industry and through a long, um, pathway of, uh, kind of being pen pals for a long time and going back and forth for a couple of years, I finally decided to move here uh, to continue our partnership. And um, so, yeah, I moved to Ann Arbor to start a, a different kind of life and um, I'm very grateful I did. That is um,
1: unbelievable. <laughs> um, and it is, I love, it's a cheesy love story.
5: <laughs> so that's, he's, that's he's always written about it. it too, Capri. So we can, <laughs> we can direct listeners to find that story through his, his lens.
1: Oh, great. I mean, we might just have to do that because obviously he's another, you know, maybe you're giving me like actually another idea for an episode <laughs> at some point and maybe it's, you know, a Valentine's Day episode. Oh. You know, you're both kind of involved in like the food, you know, the food space, it, you know, it's kind yeah. of, it's kind of an interesting thing. Yes. Um, so I will, um, I'll have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> Take <note>. um, <laughs> <laughs> So you've been in Michigan, what, uh, for a decade, right? Exactly. And, you know, you continued kind of to work in the food space when you got there. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, you worked in marketing and some other things, but you've kind of always been, let's say on the, uh, the business side or the, uh, the desk side, right?
5: Yeah. You know, and I, I was, and that's when I went to work for bi uh, that's, you know, I, I, you know, took a, it's a market, a very small family owned market owned by Sam McGonham, who's still a dear friend. And I took a pay cut to get back to the food part of it, you know, and um, when I moved here, as you remembered, thank you, I did work for an importer for a time. And I just, I, I needed something less sedentary and just closer to the food, you know, to be honest, something I felt more proactive and um, what I was passionate about, which is food.
1: So I actually do. I want to hone in on this for a minute mm-hmm. um, about where you got your passion for food in general. I mean, you know, obviously you've been in in and around the industry for a while. So you know, where did that seed get planted? And I'm I'm bringing up seed because we're going to talk about seeds later.
5: We are. We are. I hope so. Um, I love that. So you know, it really comes from my my upbringing, my parents, um, and where they chose to start our life as a family and. So my dad's from Iowa and my mom's from Kentucky and they met in your state of Iowa or excuse me, Ohio, 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 Ohio. Ohio, right? So, uh, so all good Midwestern places. And, um, my mom, before it was a trend was a vegan. Oh wow. Yeah. Well she wasn't when she had us babies. Uh, so I grew up, um, around vegetables my whole life and my mom was also a gardener and my dad it has a huge, huge passion for tomatoes, um, and we grew up instead of grilling like steaks, we'd grill cauliflower. <laughs> and, Nothing uh, wrong with that. You no. definitely are ahead of the curve. <laughs> I know. Well, she was. I have to give my mom the credit. So, um, I, I think I just always loved vegetables uh, in their kind of raw, natural form, and gardening was something that I was. Um, you kind of had to pass my mom's approval to tend to her garden, to work in her garden. And it was this, it was a beautiful thing to be out there, be together, spend time in the dirt, you know, witnessing all that mother nature has to offer, you know, ladybugs and fireflies and all those things. So it started there. Right. And then, um, when I got to work, when I saw, when I saw whole Foods start, Start to open. We're talking a long time ago when there was like one (laughs) in San Francisco. Um, I love that farmers market feel when you walked into one. This is like in the old days, you know, pre Amazon, and um, and so that's why I started working for them. I was like, wow, look at this like cornucopia of beautiful vegetables, and it's it's thusly continued in that way. You you know, I think humans continue to go back to where they're drawn naturally. And I still feel like that little girl in my mom's garden today when I'm in my farm sometimes. Yesterday, I had a friend out and we were talking about something serious and a ladybug landed on my arm. And I was like, oh, ladybug laughed at me. He's like, you're like a little kid. And I'm like, thank you very much.
1: (laughs) Well, look, I mean, I think that I I spoke with somebody else totally different um, earlier today. We were talking about you know kids learning uh, about healthy foods by being in the garden. And you know what? Kids love dirt. Mm-hmm. um and i think that you know we're all kids uh at heart in some ways and being outside um you know and being with nature and and that sort of thing kind of being peaceful in your garden and in your farm um they're all just just really wonderful basic everyday joys um which you know certainly um sounds like you're you know growing up around gardening um has has definitely left a lasting impact on you and what you ultimately, you know, decided that you were going to do, um, with, with your life and, and in your career, you have a farm. You, um, are, you know, supplying produce and, and goods to, uh, Hey Kim for Miss Kim's restaurant, whom we mm-hmm. talked to earlier in the show. Um, and we, I want to talk to you extensively about that and that relationship, but we first have to figure out how you became a <laughs> farmer. Um, and, it, and, um, there's, you know, I, a lot that went into, you know, that journey. I know
5: there was, um, and it's like, it's like such a belated glimpse of the obvious, right? I, and that's what feels so good about it for me. And not everybody's cut out for this work, you know, and, um, it's very physical. It's in the Midwest, as you know, it gets real, real hot in the summer and humid and it gets really, really cold in the winters. And so there's like not only the physical toughness, but there's the mental toughness, um, And it, it goes back to all types of work. If you really love what you're doing, it's not that hard of work. (laughs) But um, I started by so I was working for that importer, you know, laptop stuff. And I, um, Obama came to visit Ann Arbor, and I was sick at home with the flu, and I was so bummed. And so I was looking up odd jobs. I was like, "Well, if I if I'm sick at home and I can't work and I can't go like find Obama in Ann Arbor, I'm going to look up odd jobs on Craigslist." And I found this woman that was. Oh, you're, da-
1: for- you're dating this. You're looking for odd jobs on Craigslist. Let's <laughs> just like put. Let's just put this it in was, context. It was
5: like labor, like odd labor jobs on Craigslist. I was just going down a rabbit hole, and um, and I found this woman <laughs> looking for. Uh, like gardeners, like she had a small gardening business, and she said, "I'll never forget this." "Quote unquote, we'll train the right person, we'll train the right fit," and I said, "I will be that right fit." You know, this I want to try this out, and I called her on the phone, and um, or I called the person, and I didn't know it was a woman at the time, and I, uh, we hit it off. She's from Texas. She spent a lot of time in California. We were about the same age, I think, you know, on the, at the time on the phone call. And we just, she was like, great, let's meet for an interview, um, you know, tomorrow or whatever. So I meet her and it was the same thing. It felt like we could have gone out and had a glass of, you know, wine or something. <laughs> we were just, we really, our energies just matched. And then what she does, which I really like, is do like trial work, right? Kind of just like the food industry. So, um, she says, you know, if, if it's a good fit after your trial, you kind of know right away. She's like, I've had, I've had really strong dudes come and pick up a rake and drop it. They're like, this isn't for me. <laughs> so um, I worked as a gardener part-time uh, with Crystal and then full-time because I loved it so much. And um, I really got to know the seasons of the Midwest, which I think that's so important to talk about here, how the Midwest seasons are so different. Than someplace like California, right?
1: Well, and I can say because I've, I've also, I, I went to, to college out in the Bay Area. And that's right. I, you know, I literally, I feel like it rained from October to March mm-hmm. and then it was like sunny. So it was like basically it was like nice out, then it was cloudy, then it rained for nine months, for like four months, and then it was sunny again.
5: So and it's all just kind of even. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's not quite you know, LA, which is like sunny and like 78 every day. So I think that people that are, that have not spent time in California, I think assume that all of California has that climate of which it does not. Um, but either way, you know, you're not getting
5: the four seasons in, Mm -hmm. you know, the Bay area at all. Not at all. (laughs) And even like, even to that point, like when I worked in the food industry in San Francisco, you'd have like odd days off. Right. And so like on those sunny days and uh, you'd be I just, I remember feeling guilty for like just wanting to sleep until one o'clock because I would work until 11 PM or midnight every night. And there's just, there's something about the weather and I don't know. I, um, I have to say moving here and we live, Ari and I live in kind of like a very wooded area and the farm is out in Dexter. And so it's kind of, it's very, it's different parts of Midwest weather and, um, flora and fauna, if you will. (laughs) And, uh, I, like, like when I started gardening for Crystal, let's just go back a second. I didn't, um, I didn't garden like perennials with my mom because it's like all annuals almost out there. You know? yeah, yeah know, like, you're just keeping, keep planting the marigolds and the pansies and the flowers and this and that. Whereas here you get these like ancient hostas and heliobores and, uh, peonies, like just beautiful, beautiful gardens that are, um it's just, there's something really special. And so I got to learn the Michigan seasons by literally being out there in the dirt every day. And, um, you know, there's in Ann Arbor, there's very proud gardeners and gardens and there's the Ann Arbor garden walk. And so a lot of our gardens were featured on that. And it was just a really beautiful way to be a part of where I am now living, you know, and, um, getting to know my community in that way through, through plants.
1: Right. I think, I think I remember you saying something to the effect of farming is learning.
5: Oh yes. That's one of my taglines. Farming is learning. And it's, um, we all have those plans, uh, in our days, you know, we set out with a plan for our day that kind of helps motivate us or, okay, tomorrow I'm doing this or whatever. And farming is exactly that way. And um, bigger farmers have, you know, spreadsheets and employees and things like that. And I'm pretty small. So it's mostly just me and my dogs and a couple friends and volunteers. And I can set out with a, you know, good plan, you know, strategically planning with the weather. But, you know, speaking of weather, but there's a number of other things that take place, you know, pests or a delivery doesn't come in or a piece of equipment breaks. And, every day is different and it's um that's the beauty of the work too is just being gentle with yourself and navigating through those those changes and the ebbs and flows and um it take it teaches you to you know yes have a plan but also to you know take a step back when things don't go according to plan because they never are and you know you just take pride in those small successes that um that you see daily that you get to witness daily you know and I think this is something we talked about too Capri is as a farmer I really appreciate the idea um, and the philosophy of being kind of a messenger and not being the one in control or the boss or I joke around that Pepper one of our dogs is the boss and he's the one you know like one of my good friends that volunteers he's like He's like, just put it on my invoice, Pepper, you know, <laughs> when he comes out to help me. Because it's just, it's true. We're, I'm just a messenger, you know, and I just plant the seed and and usher it in to hopefully do the right thing, you know, so I can feed people.
1: I love that. Um, that's such a, like, poetic way to view the, the process of farming and the role that you play in it. Um, and, you know, someone must have been a messenger for you because you got... You know, kind of an out-of-the-blue opportunity mm-hmm. to start a farm.
5: Yeah, that's, I mean, speaking of poetic, that's a beautiful way to um, introduce that. I, um, I knew a, a very nice uh, couple. I still know them, um, but they were parting ways. They were uh, selling their land, and part of that land had a hoop house on it. A hoop house is like a big greenhouse. A lot of people don't know um, that they're called hoop houses. You see those big white looking tents that people call greenhouses. Um, And so they were about to sell this property, but before it went up for sale, they still had like like six to eight months left, which is a season. And it happened to fall on like spring and summer and fall. And he came to me and he said, I know you've always wanted to try your hand at farming and we're not going to use that property, that corner property, and you can use it rent free. You can just, wow. Yeah. And he's like, if you want to pay for like, you don't even really use electricity, like you might for a fan or something. Um, but it, w- it was just one of those moments where I was like, okay, all right, here we go. <laughs> you know. And, it, and Crystal, you know, the woman that I worked with, uh, gardening, she was all for it. She was really supportive. It was one of those things where if I, I if I did this, it was going to be full on. Like it was going to be, you know, every day you're out there and it's, you're not working for anybody. There's no time clock. It's so it's like, you're kind of all in to begin with. And I was, I was, I was ready. I was just like, this is great. Here we go. You know? And I went out there with him and I looked at the space and it was, we were still kind of in winter kind of, um, climbing out of winter as I like to call it out here (laughs) we're kind of climbing out of winter (laughs) because you never really know when we're out until it's like you know mid-May and uh I remember just looking at the land out there and I brought Ava my three-legged dog uh, at the time to go look at the land and she was just so happy to be out there with me and I was like I could just picture myself you know it's Ari writes a lot about visions having not um Premonitions, but writing a vision. And when you have a strong vision of where you want to go, and you write about it and you share it, you're going to get there. And
1: so you're you're manifesting things. Then
5: I guess. I mean, I think we all have the power to manifest things. But when I went out there and I actually looked at this hoop house and I looked at this corner property that I was going to get to be all alone in, like working on the land. Like I also really like to be alone and I like to work alone. I, you know, alone with my dogs.
1: (laughs) Uh, I I feel (laughs)
5: you. I know, you do. And um, I just, I could really, I could see it and I could feel it. And I was really excited. And so given that space, I was there for one season, right? So I got to make all the mistakes and no one was, no one was looking, right? And I did. And, you know, I got, I got this property rent-free. It was a beautiful property, but it was also, Laden with uh, some weeds and pests and a lot of other things that I didn't, um, you don't deal with in these client gardens that have been there. I mean, you deal with weeds and gardens, but it, like on this, <laughs> at this level, I was in irrigation. I learned irrigation. I learned how to use a giant Kubota tractor, which I fell in love with. Um, but every, it was one, it was a season where I was grandfathered into all these things, but I, whatever could go wrong did go wrong. And since I was <laughs> by myself, it's kind of like, figure it out. You know, I can't tell you how many trips I made to Ace Hardware, how many friends I made at Ace Hardware and Dexter. <laughs> I had, you know, I had a, a guy, they don't make deliveries there. I had a guy deliver a wheelbarrow to me because I needed help getting a wheelbarrow out there. And, uh, you know, just, I mean, it's, it's this beauty of Midwest, small towns too, is, Right. Right. It's like, you know, you go to the hardware store or, oh, I know a guy, you know, or Dexter Mill. Like, you know, just, it's just very sweet how to find the resources you need. But yeah, that first year was a lot of stop and go. And same, like, you get out there and you're like, this is what I'm going to do today. <laughs> you get out there and you're like, oh, no, I am not doing that today. Like a neighbor ran over my irrigation. i got to, you know, fix that. Like, oh, like, yeah. Just, you know, kooky, kooky things, all, you know, or well, the neighbors. There's no guarantees. No, 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 no. So I know that we could go on for hours about the stories.
1: <laughs> no, so, I, you know, what do you grow? I mean, so what did you start to grow? What do you continue to grow?
5: Yeah. And how do you choose those things? Good, good, good question. So, and that also stems back to, stems back, like seeds and stems, um, stems back to my time in San Francisco where, I, I mean, Byright was like ahead of their time with the produce, and they, um, they would bring in these like cool radishes and wild varieties from small farmers. And one of my favorite favorite peppers is called the Jimmy Nardello pepper, and it's a it's sweet Italian frying pepper, and um, it's now featured in the slow food uh, arc of taste. And uh, I, I would get stomach aches because I would just eat those peppers <laughs> all summer, you know, just eat, you know, I'd fry them up in olive oil and salt, just, just eat. That's all I'd have for dinner. Sometimes I would just bring home home bags of this. And then when I got here, those things weren't being offered, you know, and I mean, maybe sometimes on a small limited scale, and this is like before the Shishito and the drone, right. started sweeping the nation. And now you can get shishitos at whole foods mind you they're in a plastic bag and they don't taste like my shishitos if i grow them but um like you just couldn't you, a it wasn't just that you couldn't get them you just couldn't find them the farmers didn't know about them either and um i remember going to a couple people uh farmers just like Ari goes to the farmer's market every saturday we have great great small farmers here tantree tantre green things farm um But they just weren't growing the things that I wanted to grow. So I – and also my passion, like I talked about with my dad, is tomatoes. You know, big, beautiful heirloom tomatoes. And, you know, he was also one of the people at the beginning who fell in love with the Cherokee purple tomatoes before that was a big trend. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like a long, long time ago. Speaking of Ace Hardware, he would meet people in, like, Ace Hardware parking lot in (laughs) Novato, California and trade tomatoes. (laughs) Oh my like gosh. People. Like it was just I can, I know where Nevada is
1: too. Yes, so I just have yes. this vision in my head. Oh my oh, gosh.
5: That's where they live. And so my dad had this story where he went to trade tomatoes with this guy in the Ace Hardware parking lot. And the guy want he was like, Well, what do I what do I owe you for these like two Cherokee purple tomato plants? And my dad was like, Nothing. Like this is in the spirit of the tomato, you know? <laughs> just so, so right on. And so, um, I am very passionate about tomatoes and I'm i I'm passionate about obscure. Peppers and that has developed more and more over time. Um, not only because of the flavors and the lack of availability or the discovery, there's a lot. There's a lot of history with peppers. Yeah, um, there's a lot. And
1: give me some examples, like of of you know, a lot of history with peppers. I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty like bold <laughs> statement.
5: It is. I mean, I have this book about peppers where there's actually, um, they found peppers in like hieroglyphics and, um, so like, let's start with some of the varieties I'm growing, right? So I grow a Serbian pepper that's become one of not only my favorites, but, uh, now local restaurants and just friends in general, they're called elephant ears and they're Serbian and they're these big, they're as like big as the palm of your hand, bigger, and, they almost look like a flattened out red bell pepper, but they're really, really sweet and very flavorful, very flavorful. And it's it's you could have them like on your kitchen counter and you could smell them from down the hall. Like they're just so oh, wow. fragrant. And going back to the seed story too is a lot of these seeds came here from so many other places before mm-hmm. – before we had the ability to get international mail and things like that. And one of my favorite stories is, um, and not stories, it's, you know, I don't know, a fable or, but it's people who uh, would come here. Immigrants would sow seeds into their hems of their sleeves. Yes. I've, I've heard this. Yeah. I just think that's such a lovely way of keeping things with you that make you feel like yourself and, And there's so much knowledge preserved in that seed. Like a lot of people come out and see my plants and like, wow, they're so vibrant or they're so this or that. And they're like, what do you do? And I really, I like my answer is almost like, if you just keep it simple and you let the seed do what it knows to do, (laughs) it's going to be just fine. You know, it's, and, uh, and so like, that's one of the things with Jihei and I um, working together is, my kind of newfound passion for the Korean peppers that I grow for her. And I think honestly, I would have, I would have probably found my way to them at some point, but because she and I have this really mutual respect uh, for food, for her food, her philosophies, um, her passion for history. uh, It just made sense for us to come together in this way and, that I can grow things for her like gochu hybrids is just wild to me. And that the people where I get my seeds from are so grateful that I'm like the only small farmer in the Midwest to grow some of these gochu Korean pepper hybrids and to trial them out here. And, uh, as you know, in the Midwest we get really hot, humid summers and peppers thrive in that they love it peppers and tomatoes just thrive in that heat and that's another reason i grow peppers is because they're so resilient and they're tolerant and they they're bountiful they're fruitful um and the korean varieties too are just beautiful colorful you know bright green plants bright red fruit um prolific it's i
1: love when people get you know descriptive um <laughs> when we're doing audio stories it's it's very helpful because you really can bring you can really bring yourself into it no seriously like i'm not joking like it is helpful because you know we're talking about things that you can taste and smell um mm-hmm. and you know it's hard sometimes to convey those nuances to an audio audience. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I'm fascinated by these Korean peppers. I, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to try some, I'm going to have to go up to Miss Kim's. I'm going to have to go up to your farm. And I, I am, uh, just to kind of close the loop on, 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 you know how you got to meet Jihei, because you didn't really talk about that. Like, yes, you know, yep, you yep. kind of jumped ahead and were like, "Well, I do this stuff for her, <laughs> and we have a mutual respect." But um, you know, you had to have connected somehow. And uh, I'm also curious to know not only kind of the origin story of your partnership, um, but you know, kind of how that how that partnership works as far as you know, you know, almost serving as a collaboration between you know grower. And, you know, chef.
5: Yes. Yeah. And um to G Hay's credit, I think she really and like I, I haven't heard about what you spoke of just yet, but um I can guess that she really talked about how much she loved our local farmers here. And I'm like so honored to even be part of our local farming scene. But she um she has this great way of honoring and elevating the local vegetables. Throughout the season and incorporating them into her menu in a way that's respectful of her values and her her heritage and the the history within that, that brings me um, back to center with why I'm doing what I do. You know, I, I the reason I specialize also in tomatoes and peppers and not you know, broccoli and spinach is because there's a lot of people that grow broccoli and spinach, you know, you can get broccoli and spinach. And you know what the broccoli that you get at Whole Foods the organic broccoli might taste pretty similar to a broccoli I could grow. The difference with the peppers and tomatoes is they taste so so different when I grow them. And why is that? I mean, there's there's different varietals of, uh, of broccoli and you know, broccoli to Chico and there's Roccolini and things like that, and it will taste different, but like cruciferous vegetables kind of throughout the spectrum taste kind of similar, you know um, there's something really interesting about uh, tomatoes and peppers, they need sandy soil, and yeah. I, you know and there's this new trend now, and I, it's not I mean it's not not new, and it's I don't want to say it's not great, but of growing things hydroponically in water, yeah. Um, and that's like, we're talking like lettuces and like, you can grow, you know, a lot of things hydroponically, but there's something like you taste this, you meet like, just like grapes, you know, and vines and wines and, uh, the terroir, right. there you The soil is really important and the soil also feeds us. It's not just the vegetables. Um, and so, you know, what I, what I specialize in is not only what I think I'm good at, what I'm passionate about, um what feeds me energetically, what I get excited to share with people. But it really honestly tastes so much different. And um, at, any, at any scale I could do it in, you know, on my scale, which is small, but, you know, for a small farmer and big, uh, to have someone like Jihei put Tam Chop, you know, Lady Choi chilies on her menu – and you know like it's like my 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 basket of peppers my two crates of peppers she will elevate and honor and give space for because she knows they're special and it's like that's where all my blood sweat and tears make sense for me to keep doing it i'm certainly not you know <laughs> making millions of dollars over here on on peppers and tomatoes i'm doing it for the passion and the love and sharing it and people when they take a bite they go wow
1: Oh my goodness! I I just you know you can hear the passion in your voice, and I'm sure you can taste the passion in uh, the produce that you, that you know you provide, G Hay and that everyone gets to have. One final question about your uh, collaboration with G Hay. Do you choose the uh, sort of the crops together, or do yeah. you say, Hey, like I have X, Y, and Z, like I'm just going to give this to you, and maybe you know. Get creative mm-hmm. with this
5: seasonally. Mm-hmm. It goes, so it goes both ways. Real, real quick, we did. We, I didn't answer your question about how we met. We met because of her food truck, and I would go when I was gardening. I would go wherever her food truck was, and I would get um, like bonmies or whatever they had to offer. But I was just like obsessed with her kimchi and her like daikon um, pickled vegetables. And you know, they began to know me. But I would also get them for my garden crew. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like, it. I would get all these, like I would get whatever they had and, um, and bring it back to my crew. And I was just so, and then, oh, and then, so she did the pop-ups at, uh, 327 Broncourt, which is a bar. And so every pop-up I would go to and we would order everything and just taste everything. And, um, so that's like, that's where we m- kind of met, but then when I began farming, um, I came to her with a couple seed catalogs, and I said, "Gee, hey, I'd love to sit down with you and have a seed meeting. <laughs> I'm not joking. And so we've really had, would like and, and this is what's beautiful about seeds and growing in Michigan. Another thing is I start growing peppers in February and March. It starts then when snow is on the ground, I can look out the window and there's like snow falling sideways. <laughs> and I'm in there planting seeds in my propagation room. With grow lights and soil, I can smell the dirt again and, and uh, it, it gives you this semblance of hope to like go through a seed catalog in February in March when it's really gray and order seeds with a chef and look at those colors and be like, this is what we're going to do this season together.
1: Well, Tammy, thank you for sharing your story. I know we could, I guess if we could talk for hours <laughs> um, and I just want to get in my car and drive up there and visit with you. I was going to say,
5: yes. And we will talk for hours when I see you. I'll Absolutely. Whenever you're ready, oh. I'm, I'm
1: ready. Well, I'm going to hit you up, I promise. And I bet that, you know, you're, you, people are going to try to find you uh, af, after this episode <laughs> comes out. So they're going to be like, where can I get those Korean peppers? Yes. Uh, you know. i happy to
5: help. Um, I'm a helper. Fantastic.
1: Fantastic. Thank you again for, for being on the show. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast.